0: Judges chapter 9, we're making our way through the book of Judges, and we're talking about the need for a king as we go through the book of Judges, and this morning we're looking at this uh, son of Gideon, also called Jerobel, in chapter 9, named Abimelech, and uh, his terrible, terrible uh, leadership, and what he inflicts on the people of Israel due to his poor... Leadership. And uh, if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. And I'm going to read the first 21 verses here of chapter 9 as we look at Abimelech, uh, Gideon's son, and what happens after Gideon's death. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Now, Abimelech, the son of Jurabel, went to Shechem, to his mother's relatives, and said to them, and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jurabel rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baalbereth with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jurabel, seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jurabel, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Bethmillo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. And it was told to Jotham, and when it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees went once out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go to hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go to hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go to hold sway over the trees? And then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the brambles, the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, and come and take refuge in my shade, but if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Verse 16. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jurabel and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his son, 70 men on one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem because he's your relative. If then, if you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word together this morning, and and Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray that you would encourage our hearts uh, to strengthen us, help us as we've just sung to, to turn and look into and, and you and to behold the, the beauty of your son, uh, to look full into, into his wondrous face and, and that the, the things of this earth, uh, the things that, that earthly leaders can promise us, we, we pray that those things would indeed grow, grow dim in the light of, of your beauty and grace. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Our church is not always united when it comes to uh, issues of of politics and and of politicians. Uh, There's sometimes disagreement that exists among uh, well-meaning, conservative, evangelical Christians in our church and in the society at large. And it it seems to me over the past uh, four years, some of these divisions have have grown greater as... uh, Christians wrestle with how to think rightly about uh, particularly President Trump and what we think about him and, and obviously there are evangelical good conservative evangelical Christians Who have different opinions on how to think about the Trump presidency and what it means for us as Christians? Uh, some for example some would, would be very uh, favorable to to President Trump some in our in our church would say you know it's it's uh, that the things that he's doing are, are good and these are things that conservative evangelical Christians should want, the things that he's pursuing. And, and, and they would say, how, how can good Christians uh, not support him and, and help him do the things that, that he's doing? And you might also know we also have uh, good conservative evangelical Christians who love the Lord who would, who would say something very different. They say, look, the, the things that, that he's doing, some of them are very bad and the way that he's doing them are, is wrong, and, and how can good conservative evangelical Christians su- support this? And and you would have some on one end of the spectrum then that are just kind of unquestionably positive, some are unquestionably uh, against, and then you'd have some all kind of in the midst of all that, and I, I think those divisions, and, and you can tell me if you think that I'm wrong, and, and be wrong yourself, um, it, it seems like those divisions are are, are greater than they've They've been in years past, as we kind of wrestle with, with what to think of, of some of the political things that are happening in our in our country, in our culture, and how we think about that as, as Christians. It's nothing new. It's nothing new in the sense that, that Christians have different opinions. It's nothing, nothing wrong with having different opinions. What is wrong, of course, is when our, our differing opinions manifest themselves in in anger right when there's animosity among brothers and sisters in Christ with with how we think about different political things We become very emotional about those things and and one of the things i've been thinking about over the past 4 years is is i've noticed this is 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 the question that i've been asking myself is, is why is there this disunity like why do we look at some of the same events and, and have such differing opinions and, and then respond so emotionally to them at, at times you, you know who you are why why is that and i think there's a variety of reasons but but one of them i think is that we have we have some very idolatrous desires for our leaders and and some of us can struggle with making idols of our leaders and if you say, well, that's, that's not me, then at least maybe you could agree with me this morning that that's the person who disagrees with you, right? And they really struggle with making idols of leaders or having idolatrous desires for their leaders. In other words, it's, it's perfectly right to want our leaders to do good things, but at times in our, our human, sinful, fallen condition, we look to our leaders and we say, okay, I want that leader to provide me with things that only God can ultimately provide me with security, well-being. I, I want them to give me the things that ultimately only God can give me. Or I want them to give me things that I believe will give me that which only ultimately God can give me. And it's not just the president. It's it's our it's all sorts of leaders that we look to, idolatrously saying, okay, I want that leader, I want that person at work who manages me. I want my parents, I, I want my, my, my husband, I, I want uh, my... Uh, my, my governor, my, my, the legislator. I want them to give me those things that are going to make me feel happy, that are going to bring me joy. We're looking to our leaders in an idolatrous way, wanting them to give us ultimately what only God can give us. And as they fail to do that, or as we see people oppose leaders that we believe are going to give us what we want, as we, as we see that because we've made idols of our leaders and the things that they can give us, what happens? We become angry, we're upset. We're not responding as Christ would have us to respond. We have these idolatrous expectations that, of our leaders and it causes all sorts of problems, conflict, disappointment, anger. Here's the main idea that I want us to to think about this morning as we look at Abimelech. By God's grace, by God's enabling grace, I I trust not in the meager resources of human leaders, but I trust in the infinite treasures of my perfect king. This morning, as we look at the story of, of Abimelech, we're going to see the story of a king, of a ruler at least, who people place some very idolatrous expectations on. They, they, they desire Abimelech to give them some things, and, and what we see them wanting reveals the idolatrous nature of their heart, and, and we, we see it result in disaster. And that is inevitably what is going to happen when you and I look to human leaders to provide us with what, what only God can give us. When we look to leaders to give us the things that we think are going to give us what only God can give us. As we look at, at Abimelech, Hopefully what we'll see is that, look, I need to not turn to human leaders and their meager resources to to give me things, but ultimately I look to the king, I look to Jesus, I look to the infinite treasures of my perfect king, Abimelech. Like so much of the book of Judges is pointing us to the inadequacy of human leaders so that we see beyond that to the infinite ability and treasure of our king, Jesus. So let's look at a couple things here, and let's first of all look at the idolatrous desire for a bramble king. Okay, Let's look at the idolatrous desire for a bramble king from the verses that we just read together. Now, let, let, me, be, let me be careful here, okay? I, I, it's not wrong, okay? So it's, this is, it's okay for us to want good leaders, right? And it's okay for us to, to want a, a president who's going to do good things. And it's, it's okay for us to want a, a manager at work who's going to, to help the company do well. It's okay for us to desire a city council that's going to accomplish good things. None of that is inherently bad, right? So how does it become idolatrous? Well, I believe our, our idolatrous desires occur when I believe that the leader that he or she is going to provide me with, with joy and security. That that's where it's going to ultimately be found. Or when I, when I believe that that leader is going to give me stuff, and that stuff is going to give me joy and security. And, and what happens is these idolatrous desires are revealed as I respond sinfully when I don't get the leaders that I want, or when the leaders don't do what I want, I respond in a very sinful way. That's when these idolatrous desires are revealed or the fact that i have made an idol of my leaders and so i want to look at these verses and and we're going to look at kind of five things five common wants that we have for leaders and how these wants can often reveal that our hearts are idolatrous when when we see these wants in our hearts when when i see this this want in my heart it's going to reveal oftentimes that there's a danger that i've crossed a line into idolatry when it comes to my leadership Here's the first example. Here's five concerning wants that I might have in my heart. Number one, here's a concerning want. I want leaders who will advance my personal interests. I want leaders who will advance my personal interests often at the expense of others, right? So look, look here at the text with me, chapter 9. And as you, you look at these verses, how does it begin? Verse 1. Now, Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, who is Abimelech? Remember, we saw him earlier in chapter 8. Abimelech was the son of Gideon's concubine, who was from Shechem. So Abimelech has a legal status as Gideon's son. He's not the the full legal status that one of his sons of his wives might have had. But a concubine was a a legal uh, semi-spouse. They had legal standing in relationship with the person to whom they were the concubine. And so uh, Abimelech is in this relationship with uh, with Gideon as his son as a, as a legal son of Gideon and it says that he's from Shechem in chapter 8 his mother was from Shechem now where is Shechem uh, Shechem was in between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal that valley between those those two mountains we talked about when we were going through Deuteronomy and when we were going through Josh with a, the mountain of Blessing, Mount Gerizim, and the Mount of Curse, Mount Ebal. Shechem's kind of right in the valley between those two mountains. And uh, Shechem is a primarily, it seems, from chapter 9 and other places in Scripture, Shechem is primarily a a Canaanite community. So even though it's under Israel control, even though it's it's in uh, Israeli territory here, it's primarily a Canaanite community still. The the people who are in Shechem, the leaders, the rulers, they don't have allegiance to the the larger community of Israel. They don't worship Yahweh God. They're under their control, but, but their hearts aren't with them. And Abimelech realizes that, and he exploits it. So, so here's Abimelech, and Abimelech goes to his, his mother's family there in Shechem, he says, look, guys, uh, what's better for you? You know, uh, my dad, a lot of wives, a uh, lot, of, lot of relationships, he has 70 sons, okay? And most of his sons are very loyal to Israel, and so they're going to advance their interests. Now, what would be better for you? Would it be better for you to have 70 guys that are kind of in charge of things, or, just saying, would it be better for you to have a representative that is closely connected with you? That, 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 that's one of you. My mom's from Shechem. Would you rather have these other guys exercising authority over you, or would you rather have me? And so, Abimelech's mom's family goes to the rulers at, at Shechem and they say, "Hey, uh, you know, what do you guys want to do here?" And the rulers of Shechem go, "Hey, you know, he, he's our brother. Let's let's have this guy reign over us." And so they take. 70 shekels of silver from the treasury to their Canaanite gods. And they give it to Abimelech and they say, do what you need to do. And Abimelech, the text tells us, hires some worthless fellows with that 70 shekels of silver. And they go out and they round up his 69 brothers And on one stone, it was probably a stone that was used for sacrifices to the pagan gods, they slaughter his brothers one by one by one. It's brutal, it's ruthless, it's effective. They kill 68 of his brothers. There's, there's one brother who escapes, the youngest, Jotham. But they've dealt, Abimelech has dealt with the potential threats to his leadership. And the Shechemites have accomplished their end as well. The main concern of the people, people of Shechem was who is going to be in charge of us? And the people of Shechem realized, okay, it's better for us to have one of us in charge of us than to have someone else in charge of us. They wanted a leader who would advance their personal interest, and they believed that their personal interests were best advanced by having one of them lead than by having someone else lead. And so they wanted to pursue their personal interest, and they were unconcerned. They were unconcerned at the cost that it would be to others. And brothers and sisters, that is the condition of the human heart. As I look to leaders in my workplace, as I look to leaders in my my home, as I look to leaders in school, as I look to leaders in the political world, what do I want I want a leader who will advance my personal interests. And I'm often, as I have an idolatrous desire, I'm often less concerned with a leader who will pursue justice or righteousness or fairness. I want a leader who will look at me and say, you're one of mine and will advance my personal interests. That becomes my desire. I was talking with my my sister this past week, she and her husband are in a, a different stage of life than we are with, with much younger kids. I think they have two, maybe, the oldest two or three, 13, Luke. Um, yeah, he's two, I think. And then, uh, and then I have, uh, then, then younger, okay. And so they're kind of dealing with a different stage of, of life in terms of, of their parenting. And I was, I was talking with her about that, and, and she was talking about different discipline techniques that they use, I said, you know, um, I said, I, I think what we, what we ultimately realized as we t- thought about our, our discipline is, is that um, with each kid, we made, uh, you know you're supposed to parent for each individual child, we like made unique mistakes for each child, right? Each child, we seem to have the own individual mistakes we made with them, right? (laughs) Tailor-made for that child. And I said, I I think one of the the best things, though, by God's grace, is that uh, we were able to pursue relationships with our our children, with each child. And and each child, as as we made mistakes and had to come to them and ask for forgiveness at times, I I think they felt the the confidence of that relationship. Say, okay, I, I know, Dad. You made a mistake whenever you, you did this, but I also know that you you love me. There's a relationship here. In fact, sometimes our kids would say, when we weren't making mistakes and we, we were disciplining or we were putting restrictions on, they would say, okay, I don't like what you're doing here. You know, I, I disagree with what you're deciding to do. And, and yet, because I know you love me, I believe that this, this restriction you're putting on me is is what's best for me, that your desire for me is is good, and so I, I know that this this restraint you're putting upon what I desire for myself must be good as well. Now what's what's right for a child to recognize about their parents is right for, for all of us to recognize about the leaders that, that we have in charge of us. Or maybe two applications here for those of us who are leaders as as we think about what we need to do as leaders oftentimes our temptation is to say okay What what am I going to do to make people like me? You know, what am I going to do to advance the interests of other people? Not because it's best for them, not because it's best for the organization, not because it's the best thing for other people in the organization, but, but who are the people that I need to make happy? And what do I need to give them in order to keep them happy at me? Not what's best for them. What idolatrous desires of theirs can I meet so that I can retain my position of influence? Or from the other perspective, as I look to leaders, what's going to make me happy with leaders? Oftentimes I say, okay, what leaders are going to give me what I desire for myself, regardless of whether or not that's good, regardless of whether or not that's the best thing for others, that's the type of leaders that I want for myself. As a person under leadership, I must be careful not to exert my influence to pressure leaders in my life, to use their authority to meet my interests at the expense of others, I, I don't want to force my boss to do things that are going to hurt my coworkers just because it will help me. I'm not going to throw a fit if my parents don't don't do what I I. I know they think it's bad for me, but I want it. I know they think it's bad for me to have this, this, this phone or to have no access or no restrictions on internet or on early bedtips. I know they think that's wrong for me, but I'm going to, to force their hands until they give me what I desire. I, I need to realize as a person under leadership, look, that's, that's dangerous. Seeking leaders like this, seeking leaders who will advance my interests, regardless of whether or not that's the best thing to do, is an idol that will lead to my ruin as we'll see. A second dangerous want, a second dangerous want. I want leaders at times who will make me rich, right? I want leaders who will make me rich, who will give me stuff. So Jotham, remember he's the youngest brother, he escapes. And then uh, he hears that the leaders of Shechem have made his brother king, his half brother king. And so he, he goes to Mount Gerizim, which is near Shechem, and he, and he begins to tell a fable. A fable is, you know, this the story that has different characters and it's used to, to kind of convey a, a larger, larger truth. It's a tool that a person out of power can use to, to confront those in power. It's a story with a punch. He tells a story about a bunch of trees. And the people in Shechem are supposed to represent the trees. And how the trees desired to have... A king and how the trees went to different other trees to ask the other trees to reign over them said so the, here here's how he says it as he begins he says oh, listen to me you leaders of shechem verse 8 the trees once went out to anoint a king over them and they they said to the olive trees the first tree that he goes to that the trees go to is the olive tree And they asked the olive tree to to reign over them. Now, why an olive tree? Uh, The word that the olive tree uses here to describe what it has is the word, uh, it's translated abundance. It it refers to the oil that uh, an olive tree would produce. In the ancient world, olive oil was used for for so many things. It was used as uh, cooking. It was used in medicine. It was used as a a leather softener, fuel in lamps, all all sorts of things. It, It represented wealth. And, and the olive tree, as it's asked to be the king, it says, look, if I do this, I, I, know, I know why you're asking me, I, but if I do this, I, I won't be able to, to provide the abundance that I can provide apart from being king. The olive tree responds by, by leaving his position would not be of any changes to me or to those that I serve. The production of wealth may be a good thing, but the olive tree recognizes that to to, to choose a leader on the basis of of their ability to make one rich is foolish. And yet, what do we desire? We desire wealth, and so we look to people that we believe are going to provide us wealth and becomes an idolatrous desire. We're willing to pursue bad leaders if it means that those leaders will give us what we want, wealth. This past week, Harvey Weinstein, uh, the Hollywood producer, was was convicted of, of these crimes against women. And one of the questions that, I, that I've had, as I've heard about the story, and, and oftentimes when the story comes on the news, I, it's just so horrible, I've I've changed the station or, or uh, turned away from the article. But one of the questions that I, I had, as I, I heard about the story, is how in the world did this producer that that, that was doing harm to, to so many women? How did he get away with it? how in the world was he able to to do such horrendous things? And it's a question reporter at Time Magazine asked, and this is what she wrote in her her article as she talked about Harvey Weinstein. She said, the conspiracy of silence that protects carnivores is a toxic combination of, of an army of powerful parties whose job it is to keep their client doing business, plus a cascade of tiny choices made by dozens of individuals who fear for their own fates, who are too ashamed to say anything and are unwilling to judge the sexual behavior of others. She talks about how Weinstein blackmailed people. He spied on his accusers. He paid people off. And, and then she, she, she says this. She says the downside of accusing Weinstein, the, the downside of someone stepping up and publicly saying what they knew was happening, she says that the downside of accusing him or or publicly refusing to work with him was steep. He was a guy who made things happen. He could save a movie, make a career, wrangle an Oscar out of the academy, or crush a young hopeful's chances. And since his targets were nearly all young women, whether actresses or assistants, at the opposite end of the power funnel the cost-benefit analysis usually landed on Weinstein's side. Weinstein, I think we would agree, was a wicked, perverse man. He, he, he bought wealth and he was able to accomplish things. And, and people realized, boy, if I, if I go up against this person, the cost, the financial cost to me is high. And so when they knew that other young women and and so forth were, were being harmed, they refused to say anything to protect these people because the cost was too high. They were willing to do business. They were willing to let this guy lead because he promised them money. What is the cost? What's the price at which a leader can buy my soul, and I'll turn my eye to to the harm that he or she is doing to others. An idolatrous desire says, I want leaders who will make me, me rich. Another idolatrous desire, I want leaders who will make me secure, I want leaders who will make me secure. The leader, the the trees next go to the fig tree. You come and reign over us, they say to the fig tree in Jotham's parable. But the fig tree says to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go and hold sway over the trees? And the the parable continues by talking about a fig tree here. A fig tree represents security in the ancient world here. Micah 4, the nations are coming to worship God in Jerusalem. It talks about how the the justice of the Lord, how God would judge the peoples. And it says, uh, nation... Shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his his fig tree. Sitting under a fig tree represents security. There's no more war, there's no more conflict. First Kings four, under Solomon's reign, everyone's living in safety. Verse twenty-five says, Every man was, was under his fig tree. So a fig tree represents security. And so here the the trees say, Well the 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 fig tree can provide us a leader who is going to give us security. Now, is it good to feel secure? Of course, it's an essential responsibility of a leader to provide protection. Uh, Good parents help their kids feel secure as God enables them to. And God uses the means of leaders to protect us, but only ultimately God provides protection. We don't determine whether a leader is good or bad just on the basis of whether it will make us feel secure. We look ultimately to God for security. A fourth concern here a, a want that we might have and a leader a, a dangerous one i want leaders who will make me happy the trees next go to the vine they, they say to the vine you come and reign over us and the vine says to them shall i leave my my wine that cheers god and men and go hold sway over the trees here the the trees are looking to a, a leader who will provide them with with pleasure it's, it's all-encompassing. You know, I'm, I'm a sensualist, and I want a leader who promises no restraint on, on any excess I decide to pursue. And this truly is the calling of our age, right? We want leaders who will say, I am going to give you the things that will make you happy. And we seek out, what leader is going to make me the most happy? What leader is going to give me the most joy? We can't fool ourselves into believing that if we just had the right boss... We just had the right husband. We just had the right pastor. If we just had the right manager at work. If our parents were just a little less restrictive, then we'd have joy. Then we'd have the happiness we so desperately desire and so obviously deserve. There's a scene in the in the book, Sense and Sensibility, by Jane Austen, where there's a, a character Willoughby, and Willoughby is a rather a bit of a rascal of a young man he just wants to seek out pleasure and there's the the colonel who is kind of more more solid and more upright and they ask Willoughby, why don't you like this guy he says i don't like him because because he, he just doesn't make me happy he says he when, when i wanted when I, he says he, he he threatened me with rain when i wanted it to be fine in other words, I, I wanted everything to be great, I wanted everything to be rosy, and he told me that it was going to rain, and I don't want that. You and I want leaders who will make us happy. We want people who will come alongside of us and say, look, look, look. doesn't matter what God has said about the path of joy. doesn't matter what God has said about the difficult road of obedience and discipleship. Let me give you what you desire. Let me make you happy. Don't fool ourselves with this idolatrous desire. Don't judge our leader, our leaders on the basis of whether or not they'll make us happy. Because here's the fifth thing, the fifth thing we see about our dangerous wants. Really, apart from God's divine intervention, in my idolatrous heart, I want leaders who will ultimately destroy me. Right? Ultimately, Left to myself, but left apart from God's grace, I'm, I'm going to choose and want and desire for myself leaders who are going to destroy me. Look at what Jotham says next. Jotham continues the, the parable. He says, and then the trees went to the bramble. Now, a, a bramble was like a it's like a thorny, thorny uh, bush, kind of this little brush. And uh, it's obviously not a great tree, okay? Not a source of great shade or um, provides, doesn't provide great fruit. So as they, they go to the bramble and they say, well, we're desperate. You come and reign over us. So the, the olive tree, the fig tree, the vine have all turned them down. How about you, the bramble? We're so desperate for someone to reign over us, to give us what we desire. How about you? And it says that the bramble says, okay, if, if it's in good faith you're anointing me king, come. And it's a very uh, sarcastic line here in verse 15 come and take refuge in my shade. Come and I will provide you with what you need. A, a bramble cannot provide shade. In fact, in the story, what do we see about the bramble? It's combustible. And, and Jotham comes to the conclusion of his parable. He says, H- here's the point. If, if what you've done, if, if you really believe that Abimelech is, is the best choice to, to rule over you and other people in this, this region, it says Israel, but perhaps is a more kind of a, a smaller section of Israel. If, if you believe that's the best thing for you and you truly honestly believe that, believe that, great. But if not, Jotham says, here's what I want to happen. I want Abimelech to consume you, and I want you to consume Abimelech. In other words, I want one worthless person to destroy another worthless person, and I want the other worthless person to destroy them as well. He's calling here really for God's passive judgment. God, let them get what they say they want. Psalm 81.10, the psalmist says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Sometimes God says, as, as my people rebel against me, I'm going to give them what they say that they want and let them suffer the consequences for it. That's God's passive judgment. We see it in Romans chapter one as well, verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. God, God, gives, his, God gives people who are rebelling over to things Verse 28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In other words, I'm going, God says, I'm going to allow you to do what you want to do and you're going to suffer the consequences for it. It's God's, God's passive judgment. Ultimately, in our idolatrous hearts, what do we want? We want leaders who will ultimately ruin us, who will destroy us. You think You think this leader is going to be the the cause of the fire, but actually the leader is just on fire, and all that comes and surrounds himself to this leader are destroyed. If you idolatry, if, if you idolatrously seek out destructive leaders for your own ends, watch out, because you'll be destroyed by them. If you are a leader, leading people, trying to fulfill the the idols they desire for themselves. Watch out because it is going to lead to your ruin and the ruin of the people you're leading. So let's see that next. Look at verses 22 through 57. Here we see the disastrous judgment on a bramble king. So here's this bramble king, this worthless king, Abimelech, and there's a lot that happens in these verses. Let me just kind of sum up a couple things really quickly here. First of all, you have Abimelech, right? So here's Abimelech, verse 22, and he reigns for for three years, okay? So when when it tells us that he reigns for three years, that's not a good sign, right? And what happens? It says the leader of Shechem, so imagine right here we have this this stool, and and this stool here represents the the leaders of Shechem, and the the leaders of Shechem, it says that God sends an, an evil spirit between the leaders of Shechem and Abimelech. So these Shechemites had chosen Abimelech to be their leader because they thought Abimelech could solve their idolatrous desires. He'd be a leader who pursued their self-interest and Abimelech wanted them to, to allow him to reign. So it was this, this mutually beneficial relationship, but somehow things start to go south in this relationship and the the rulers of Shechem are now no longer enamored with Abimelech over here. And so they decide to to, to have some some raiders in the area who will rob people as they're traveling to make Abimelech look bad. So we see that in verses 23 through 25. Then in verses 26 through 29, we're introduced to a third person, okay? There's a a third person named Gail. And Gail comes to the the leaders of Shechem, and they're they're talking about Abimelech and what a bad leader he is. And Gail says, boy, if I were in charge, I would take care of Abimelech. And there's a, so there's there's Gale, and he's talking to the leaders of Shechem about Abimelech. And there's a fourth person in the story that we hear of, named Zibel. And Zibel hears what Gale says to the leaders of Shechem, and Zibel goes to Abimelech and says, "Hey, sends the messengers. Hey, this is what Gale is saying." Abimelech finds out about that, and Zibel says, "Hey, we need to take care of Gale. We're going to send. My advice to you is to send four groups of people to attack the people of Shechem, and let's deal with Gale." And Abimelech says, "Sounds like a good plan." Then, verses verses 34 through 41, Abimelech and Gael confront one another. Abimelech defeats him. And then in verses 42 through 49, even though Gael is now out of the picture, Abimelech is not done with his vengeance on the people of Shechem. He decides to uh, mount uh, another attack against them. We see this again in verses 42 through 49. And uh, the the people in Shechem flee. He he takes the the fields and he, he raises them. He salts them so that they can't grow crops any there anymore. The leaders of Shechem go into a a tower. They uh, go and they they try to, uh, to to stay safe. Abimelech is told that everyone's in the tower, and so he sets it on fire. Right. Every one of the people. Uh, follows Abimelech that, that's with him and, and, and sets the stronghold on fire. And it says in verse 49, all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about 1,000 men and women. Abimelech's not done. So he's, he's dealt with the people of Shechem, but now he, he keeps on going. And apparently the, the town of Thebes had also uh, torqued him off. And so he goes to Thebes, and he he tries to do the exact same thing. The people, he fights against them. They go up in the tower. He begins to try to burn it down. And it says in verse 53, a certain woman throws down an upper millstone on Abimelech's head, crushes his skull, and then he asks his his armor bearer, hey, will you kill me so that they can't say that a woman killed me? And his young man uh, thrusts him through verse 54, and he dies. Verse 55, and when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his house. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads and upon them came the curse of Jotham the son of Jurabel. Wickedness consumes wickedness. Let's let's think about the response then the response of those ruled by Bramble Kings what do you do with this story right all of us I'm sure can, can think of leaders in our lives who are who are Bramble Kings they're worthless leaders Maybe it's, it's a person who's in charge of us at work. Maybe it's a coworker who, in, who influences others. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, a parent. Maybe it's a person in a position of, of political leadership over you. All of us can think of Bramble Kings who are in positions of leadership. What do we do with that? What, what hope do we have as Christians as we think about Bramble Kings? Here's number one. Number one, we'll go through these kind of quickly. Number one, we submit to God. Our submission to kings, earthly kings, is not and and rulers and governors and city council people and mayors and and parents. It's not based upon their worth. President Trump isn't my president because necessarily I like what he does or I don't like what he he does. I don't respect President Obama when he was president because of his inherent abilities, good or bad. I I submit ultimately to a leader because of their God-given position. My boss at works, my, my my boss at work, my parents, I submit to people because of the place that God has put them. And so as I submit to them, who am I submitting to? I'm submitting to God. First Peter 2 tells us that. Secondly, secondly, a second encouragement, don't rely as you find yourself needing to submit to Bramble Kings, don't rely on human leaders to provide you with what only God can give. Don't rely on human leaders to provide you with what only God can give. Now, is it, is it reasonable to expect good things from our leaders? Of course, should we, as we have the opportunities to choose our leaders, should we try to choose leaders who are going to advance the things that God would want them to do? Of, of course. But as I find myself in a position where I'm being called to submit to a Bramble King, what do I do? I don't trust A human leader to provide me with what only God can provide. I don't say, boy, if I just had a different leader, then I could finally have joy. If I just had a different leader, then I could finally have the wealth that would bring me joy. I, I don't say that. I don't rely on human leaders to provide me with what only God can give. Number three, don't judge the effectiveness of leaders by how well they meet your idolatrous expectations. As a parent, your kid and your parent is, is asking you to do some things. You think, man, what a terrible parent I have. If only God had blessed me with the parents that my friend has, all life would be rosy and rainbows and so wonderful. No, we recognize, look, sometimes the desires that I have for my leaders are, are not desires that are, that are that are best for the organization or best for the family or best for this this, this entity really what I want is what's best for me. I need to ask God to give me grace to not have these idolatrous expectations and to judge leaders by those. A fourth thing I would encourage you with, watch out for the fires that will inevitably consume Bramble Kings. And I think, I think this is helpful for us in so many areas of life. Fleshly leaders ultimately will consume other fleshly leaders. In your workplace, there are those who are vi- vying for the idols of this world. And at times, they are going to destroy one another. And as a leader and as a follower, watch out for these fires. And don't compromise your principles. And in conflicts between leaders, political leaders, workplace leaders, church leaders, make sure you're not taking sides in an ungodly way. Don't return evil for evil. Don't say, you know what, because, um, because I know what your side will do, my, it's okay for my side to do this. I'm aligning myself with this leader. And I know that what they're doing is wrong. But I'm going to say, look, this is okay. Okay, because what you would do is even worse watch out watch out for those political infightings watch out for, in, the, in the workplace in the country in your community don't get involved in those things because you know what fire is going to consume fire wickedness is going to consume wickedness don't put yourself in the middle of that fifth encouragement here pray for encourage pray for and encourage all leaders Rejoice in what God allows weak human leaders to to do. Realize that that God may sometimes give us the, the leaders that we deserve, and yet at the same time, we believe that God loves us, that he has a great plan for our life by his grace, and he is going to be glorified in what he's doing right now. And so even though this may not be what I would choose for myself, I'm going to pray for the leaders that God has placed over me, and I'm going to encourage them in their leadership. Again, recognizing that God can use whatever leader he wants to accomplish his purpose. And related to that, last thing I'd encourage you with, trust God to save you from Bramble Kings, right? Trust God to save you from Bramble Kings, either by replacing them or blunting them their poor leadership, here's, here's the good news. Whatever Bramble King you're dealing with right now, his or her reign is, is limited. It's limited in its power and it's limited in its time. Their reign is coming to an end. And whatever position of leadership you find yourself in, good news for you, your reign is coming to an end. What what you need to do now is to say, okay, right now, whatever whatever temporary rain I find myself, I want to encourage them, I want to pray for them, but I understand that King Jesus is coming. And right now, I want to submit to his leadership in all areas of my life. In the leadership areas that I have, I'm submitting to him as a leader. And the other leaders that I have, I'm submitting to them as I recognize, ultimately, King Jesus is in charge. I know that God is going to save me from human leaders. And God is going to save the people I lead from this human leader By God's grace, let's trust in Jesus now. Good leaders are a gift from God. I don't want to be too negative, but bramble kings are common. And so we trust in Jesus Christ. Our trust ultimately is in in Jesus Christ, recognizing that he is our Savior, and he provides, as we trust in him, all that we need for life and godliness now and into eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for King Jesus. We pray that by your grace, we would submit to him and him alone. We pray that you would, by your grace, cause our hearts to be submissive to you and that you would give us joy as we behold the face of King Jesus. And we pray this in his name, amen.